and welcome to Untold Hong Kong Stories, multimedia narratives from the margins. This is a podcast series where we hear the stories of people in our community. From Hong Kong's non-Chinese locals to marginalized members of our community, we hope their stories will make us think about the way we live ours, creating a more inclusive and diverse society. My name is Maria Todorova from the Department of Translation, Interpreting and Intercultural Studies, and our guest for today's podcast is John Outsider, an asylum seeker who's lived in Hong Kong for nine years. Here, he shares his story. I was born in 1982 in Iran. Due to political problems, I ran away. I ended up in Hong Kong 2012. I like to be called John Outsider as my pen and my stage name. You made Hong Kong your home for this 10 years, if I can call it that way. Um, so I would like to ask you, what does home mean to you? Do you feel you belong in Hong Kong? Do you feel Hong Kong is your home? This is not accurate in my case because I ran away and then I stuck in Hong Kong. Uh, it wasn't my intention to stay here. And uh, because I couldn't go back or forward, I, I stuck here. So Hong Kong is more like a detention. And um, my identification that is issued by immigration also says that, okay, detained under Section a37 or something of immigration so basically i'm detained here even though i'm walking around the city so um that's one of the things it's basically legally i'm detained not living here and um if you look at it psychologically um through society's perspective again i cannot call it home hmm. um and that's not something just because Hong Kong being a special place, um, Hong Kong is part of China. And um, this East Asian uh, mindset calls people who look like them, uh, like brothers or uh, country people. It's, it's happening in Japan, like it happens in Hong Kong, even some parts of Korea, if you don't look like them. It doesn't matter even if you speak the language or you are there for a long time or you're even born there. If you don't look like them, they don't call you one of them. Mm. Like um, I see like a person that has been born and raised and speak the language here, but because looks white, they call him Guaylo. They don't call him Panya. Like, and this this tells me as a, as a guy that absolutely uh, have a different feature from them, I would never be one of them. And um, the other problem would be uh, the mind. My mind doesn't work like them. I don't speak the local language and uh, I don't think like them. The the whole idea of the identity of Hong Kong identity um, doesn't work for me as a person who doesn't believe in country at all. I don't believe on borders. Um, t- to me, the identity comes to as a human being and mm. the, the home is earth and mm. uh, people divided the home too much that doesn't seem natural to me so i can't call mm. not hong kong but i feel like nowhere else home mm. 
and uh, it comes with my name, outsider. I'm never in. I'm always out. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. I, we are all human beings, and, and the earth is our home. So borders do create differences, right? Yeah. But then you said, at least for the time being, you can walk freely around Hong Kong. Um, is there any place in Hong Kong where you feel more included or more welcome? Or on the contrary, are there any places within Hong Kong that you feel less included or less welcomed? I wish I could give you a si simple answer, mm -hmm. but um, we have to see what means to be welcomed. And um, welcoming, yeah, we, I, I experienced family back in Iran, and that was that was to be welcomed. It didn't matter what I've done or uh, how I think. Um, we had the connection by blood, and then like I could always go back to my family, and that feeling of welcome, being welcomed, it's never occurs to me in in Hong Kong. I'm carrying a paper that says you're a detainee, you have to get out of here. It doesn't matter how much you do, how you think, how great you act, you can't be part of this. And when, when I'm aware of that, I have that in my subconscious or in the consciousness, in the, in the, in the proof by document, there is no feeling welcome anywhere. I can't because of the legal issues. I can't because of the the whole ethnic being part of the ethnicity. Mm. The whole chain of behaviors and acts that happens around me. Um, so when when I arrived in Hong Kong, it was uh, very bizarre to me that okay, when I sit somewhere, people sit far away from me, and um, then I realized that okay, it's not only about me, people even they don't sit around each other. I see that the, um, the whole idea of being welcome is being taken away from people generally. Now, you're welcome if you have something uh, for someone else. And usually by something, we mean money. Uh, and in this upside down world, when I don't have the rights and I cannot be extremely rich, it become impossible um, to be part of Hong Kong. It didn't stop me from trying. I I donated my blood as much as I could. I um, tried to join activities such as this and even charity activities, helping um, in NGOs when I thought they are good. And um, even when uh, Corona started and people were running away from Hong Kong, I offered my help to the government. I wrote the letter and um, unfortunately they denied. They didn't even want my volunteer, my volunteering, my help. Like when you get to a point that you see that, okay, they don't want your good deeds. But if you are absolute criminal from some country, or you have millions of dollars from somewhere else and you're welcome, then it doesn't bother me that I'm not welcome because the measures of being welcome has been changed. So the only place that I feel welcome is, is, uh, is by the beach. 
near the animals, buffaloes, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes are fair. They bite everyone the same way. So I would say I am welcome when there are no people. Hmm. I know you are a very creative person and you do like to express yourself creatively and you want to um, express everything that happens in your life and around you in a creative way. And you've tried different modes of creativity, let's say. So you've written a book, uh, you've done a film. So can you tell us a little bit more about your creativity? I also wanted to ask whether whether Hong Kong, the, the city and, and its people, have they influenced your creative work in a way? I think everyone is creative. Everyone who d- does, you, you make, you get an egg and then uh, turn it to omelette and then you already created something out of something else. Um, and I know it's unfortunate that like people try to even limit creativity to some category, maybe for easier understanding, but this sort of limitation kind of uh, goes against the creativity. It, 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 creativity should have the liberty of just making something new without having a label. Um, in my case, I think... I was a bit creative even back in Iran. I, I, would, I did a lot of poetry in Persian language. I am a decent poet. And at that time, I was in love. So, of course, oh, how I miss you. My heart is like this. My blood pumping out of my ear. I don't know. This sort of stuff I would write. Um, and I had sense of humor. Um, kind of my psychological way of uh, defending myself or getting out of awkward situation or grab attention. Um, I was a humorous guy until like some stuff happened to me back in Iran and I lost a big touch with with my creative side. But when I come to Hong Kong, um, I had illegal entry because I couldn't travel my my own passport to run from Iran. Unfortunately, we cannot do immigrating because you don't have the right, you don't have the right passport. And uh, most of the procedures are very lengthy and uh, very difficult. Uh, So I had to use a legal passport. And when I come here, uh, they put me in prison and the funny thing in prison was that everyone had some ideas about Iran. Some thought that, okay, I have four wives. I, I didn't understand where that is coming from. Uh, like some, they thought that, okay, the country is against, like country people are against US and this sort of thing. There a lot of stereotypes that I faced and um, I knew the facts. I knew that, okay, they, these are not true, like, no one likes four wives or four mother-in-law. Jesus Christ, that would be <laughs> too much. But somehow they stay believing in it. So I start writing. I start writing to express my knowledge against these stereotypes. And also because of things that happened to me in Iran and I couldn't talk about it, writing was sort of a healing. I could process my thinking by, by writing them instead of 
they swirling around in my head and make me more anxious and paranoid. So it wasn't for sake of creativity. It was like a um, survival way for me to start writing. And after that, it become sort of a habit. Um, I wrote around 12, 13 books. I managed to publish six, I think, six or seven of them. And uh, I wrote a lot of poems. I did a lot of comedies, comedy stand-ups, some short, some long. And these these helped me to to express and survive. And it gave me some sense of existence. Like, it's not that, okay, I'm really trapped. Because my body can be trapped, but my words can't travel. So... I put my words out there. Hong Kong, yes, affected. Of course, uh, the best poets are the ones who suffer the most. If um, if you see limitation, prison, detention, uh, it gives you some time and it gives you hardship, which pushes you to question. Because if you do everything right and then you get the opposite result, so there is something wrong. And then if you cannot blame others, more than some level, you have to start blaming yourself and what you know, and you gotta dig deep, you gotta dig deep. And it, uh, this time was provided for me in prisons, in two, three times that I have been detained, and um, in long detention in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, I know that I don't look like a detainee, but I don't have the right to work, I don't have the right to travel, I don't have. Uh, the right to volunteer. I don't have the right to study. And then when you have no right, my rights are less than a dog, then um, then I have to sit and do nothing. And then this caused me to pay attention. Mm. So now I have time. I have time to sit and observe two ways, one through inside and then one through outside. And by observing and then writing them down, um, some in, in a fictional way and some in just the way it is, some by harmony, rhythmic, like a poem, somehow Hong Kong helped me to write. What language do you use to write? I was just curious whether our audience can find your books and read yes. your books. So in the beginning, I started with Persian because when I come to Hong Kong, my English was very poor. I could just like say my name and like, ask for address, which was bad. It was a headache when I couldn't understand people talking. It was absolutely devastating. Uh, so I wrote a book in Persian that time, and then I tried to approach the publishers, and uh, I, I got negative response. So I thought that, okay, let's do it in English. I have to learn English anyway. So you learned English in here English. in Hong Kong? Yes. It was very quick because uh, I cut all my Persian connections, not watching movies or music or any sort of news because it, it brings back trauma. It, like you see one scene in a movie and then for a few nights you cannot sleep. So it, it do. So why to do that? In one way, was bad to be like away from the culture and good stuff, but in one way it was good that it helped me to learn English faster than 
usual procedure. And yeah, I published them in, uh, on Amazon because legally I'm not allowed to publish anything here. It considers as business I'm making money. Then I will be criminal for publishing a book, which is a very serious crime, I guess. And um, so I, I put on Amazon. If people search for the books, they can find. Choose but to search with your name, John yeah. Outsider. Because I think there are more John Outsiders out there and I didn't advertise much. So it's, it's like just somewhere in the end of the Amazon and like near the toilet, you know, <laughs> it, it, those corners of Amazon, <laughs> my books are there. But, uh, but I'm happy to share the links if Okay. If we can still try and find them. Yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah. possible. You, you came here uh, speaking Persian, and that, that's your native language, I imagine. That's your mother tongue. My mother tongue is Turkish. Uh, in Iran, the first language is Persian. So we study, and in, of course, in the street, we talk Persian. But in school, they teach us Arabic, so as a second language. We have some classes on English, but not really they don't go to in it, but mm. it gives the basics. So like, I, I knew the alphabet. I could read slowly a page, understanding like maybe 20% of the page. So this four language. So you speak Turkish. Uh, Turkish, Persian. Arabic. Arabic, English, and rubbish. I speak mm. rubbish very well. Okay. <laughs> and body language. That's above 18, so we, we cannot talk my body language is the which of these languages do you use here in Hong Kong the course, most? And, English. Yep. Of course, English. I wanted to learn Cantonese in the beginning, but then when, when I realized that they don't want me here, there was no point. And uh, I thought that uh, the procedure will be fast. I will be out of here like in a year or two. So there were not, never enough motivation to learn. And Cantonese is very hard. They have words that has many different meanings and they can pronounce it differently. I cannot. I don't have those tools in my head. It's very difficult. Cha can mean tea and also can mean fork. Hmm. So you might go to a tea house and ask for tea and then they give you a fork. It is possible. You say cha on guy and then the guy comes with a fork. You can still use some Cantonese, I see. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Especially the curse words. Hmm. The bad words I can mm. use very well because they use it against me a lot. Mm. So you hear it a lot, you can use it. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say here the, the bad words. I don't think so. I can <laughs> shout it out. For the end of our discussion, you, you did say, you know, you feel that you are a detainee here in Hong Kong and, and that's what your papers say. And you did mention a few times in our conversation that First of all, you expected to be here for a short period of time and um, and and that you don't really see your future in Hong Kong. Um, how do you see your future? Or um, to make it more specific, how can Hong Kong make you feel more welcome? And, and how can Hong Kong and its people help you see your future here? Um, Is that possible? So... The thing is, if you see a goal in future, it means that you you set a goal, you plan things. 
and then to plan things, you need to have the right to access to them or the tools to access to them. Um, the uncertain situation that I'm here and without rights, I cannot plan anything. So it, it's very hard to imagine a future. Um, but about Hong Kong welcoming me, um, I don't see it's possible. And towards doing welcoming something, the first step is to willing. And I don't see that willing. I, I, I cannot see that, okay, a Hong Konger said that, okay, oh, we need, like, a Middle Eastern, Middle Aged guys here. Like, not really. It's, it's not part of their value system at all. So I would say the first thing would be to consider that. First, to consider that, okay, do we want a person that doesn't look like us, wasn't born here, but has certain qualities to be welcomed here? And then if you consider that, then you will start giving some options. Okay, these options, these are the ways that we can consider a person. So I don't expect anything to happen because I don't see any desire behind it. 